Hi, everyone. Kevin McElvaney here, host of Pro Wrestling Indie Strated, the indie wrestling-focused arm of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast family. I will get this intro down one of these days, but I'm just going to go with that. And I am joined from the jump with by a guest uh, for the first time, referee Odie Brown, who has uh, reached out very kindly um, to see about any kind of exposure and uh, positive media representation for referees in Pro Wrestling Illustrated and our podcast. So first of all, thank you for, for joining us here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here. And I totally empathize with the whole like uh, trying to get your intro situated thing. You know, like I've definitely in my own podcast, like had a couple of times where I've had to just, you know, what, let's, let's do that again. That, that was no good. That was, that was garbage. <laughs> and thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate that you're like giving an opportunity, not just to myself, but to referees as a community to kind of share our stories a little bit so that, you know, people can realize that, uh, it's not just some random person in stripes. It's a human being that has a story and a personality and a life and dreams and goals and all that good stuff. So thank you. Well, yeah, very, very happy to do it. Um, so, so you reached out, I think, maybe to Pro Wrestling Illustrated specifically, then to me individually. Mm-hmm. Um, you, very professional, but persistent. Like you wanted to make sure that you were able to put some things out there because I mean referees it's a, it's this thankless business um in storyline out of storyline it's just it's it's mm-hmm. it, it's how it is you work really hard um you're not given the glory you're not you're not there for the glory but sure. you know a little recognition for the hard work would be nice now and then right so what was it that uh that you wanted to get out there just off the bat I mean I realize that's very high level very general Sure. Uh, I, I can definitely go off of that though. Like, um, my goals, uh, like to the community as a whole, to the internet wrestling community have always been trying to promote the referee community as a whole. Uh, my personal goals, you know, I take care of that on my own. Like I obviously have my own referee career, but like, uh, I created the community that I'm sure we're going to talk about quite a bit. Zebra talk, uh, about four years ago. And it was just wholly motivated by this idea that like, um, many, many, many times I've walked into a locker room for the first time and people have just assumed I was going to be a bad referee because that's been their experience with a lot of people because we didn't have trainers or Hmm. because of misconceptions about like, um, you know, like you can just put a shirt on anybody and like, they'll be able to ref a match because all you have to do is count three. Like you hear that kind of stuff all the time in pro wrestling. Um, so it was my intention to not only identify like who my peers were in the world of pro wrestling, but uh, to try and give them a platform and a network to try and like learn from each other. So that's kind of akin to like what led me to knocking on the pro wrestling illustrated door, which actually predates the conversation we've been having for a number of years. I was actually uh, trying to have a conversation with your predecessors for a number of years that I really appreciate you uh, (laughs) opening the channel of communication because it was not, uh, reciprocated before and i totally understand you know there's not exactly a large audience for referees and there shouldn't be an audience for referees obviously we're not the focus of the show but um yeah my original intention for a number of years was like there's a pro wrestling illustrated top 500 of uh wrestlers um not that i would want to be on it but the thought uh, in my mind is okay well why 
can't we have like a top 50 of referees and like maybe I can write it or, you know, like uh, help facilitate it or make the right connections or whoever it is that writes it. I, I never really wanted to use it as a platform to like promote myself. Right. Uh, it's just what I've been doing with Zebra Talk all along is like trying to elevate the community, elevate the recognition to an extent of the people that, like I said, are human beings. And, you know, like they put in a lot of miles and they put in a lot of hard work and they're, there's something to be said about knowing the name of the person who's in the ring, you know? Right, right. I mean, you've touched on a, a lot there. Um, yeah, <laughs> I kind of go around a lot. <laughs> and and, and I believe I, I said to you in my response, I mean, I, I like the idea of a referee list. It's You can make a list for anything sure. um, in pro wrestling, and there will be a good case for, make, for doing that. Managers, promoters, I mean, almost anything. Um, since we already have now three big lists, I was a little bit hesitant to take on, you know, another list, but I do think that there's room within the pages of the magazine and, and haven't delivered on that yet, but, it, but do plan to, um, kind of make space for the referees, um, you know, especially on the independent level, because I mean, uh, some of the referees on television are a little more recognizable and, uh, maybe, uh, I mean, they, they, that's actually a bad answer because they, they need space as well, but I was actually going to say, I've always, always, I've always appreciated the fact that the top 500 does include everyone who's on television because it recognizes professional wrestling as a whole community, as mm -hmm. opposed to saying like, they're the pros and we're the indie guys. And like, here's a list right. for us. And here's a list for them. Like, yes, the top 50, if we did have a list or whatever the number is for referees would be mostly contracted like television referees, but for good reason, you know, they're the, uh, you know, the most elite level of people that are doing the job right now. And right. aside from a select few, your Charles Robinsons and your Mike Kyoto's and your Hebner's and, uh, you know, whoever else, like, for the most part, most people don't know the names of even the people who are on their television right now. And, right. you know, they don't need to be the stars of the show. But like I said, there is some space for knowing the name of the person who's in the ring, I think. And you brought up a, a fair point about this kind of anonymity if someone doesn't know who the referee referee is, especially you know on an, an independent show, say, um, someone assuming the worst, like, okay, who's this person? Like, how did yeah. they get the referee shirt? Who told them they can do this? In reality, you know, at least the referees who are doing things the right way and the the, the way they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. um, go through quite a bit of training and prep themselves. I mean, it's not something you can just get in the ring and do well, at least. Sure. Could you talk a little bit about how you got started and, and what, if any official kind of training? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's actually been a big um, hill that I've been like, not necessarily dying on, but like kind of, it's been a big fight that I've been a part of over the last couple of years is like trying to change the way that referees are trained because Myself, personally, many of my peers, the majority of referees that I know, honestly, uh, we were trained uh, to referee at a wrestling school. And what I mean by that is that I went to a wrestling school. I was taught how to do the things that the wrestlers were doing. And then when it was time to referee the matches, they said, go do it. Mm -hmm. And that was the extent of my referee training. Uh, luckily, I was living in a community where there were many very successful veteran referees who would come and go 
and come like let me pick their brain and they would tweak how I did certain things and they would give me advice and things like that. But that was one of the main catalysts for making Zebra Talk was like there aren't referee trainers out there. Schools just don't have them because like for the most part, you know, you'll go to a wrestling school and there'll be like 20 kids that are there learning how to wrestle. And, you know, even from my own personal experience, like I was the one person that was at my school learning to ref. And then another one came along eventually who's a good friend of mine, but like, you know, there's, there's just not really so much of a demand for it. And for a long time, like referees were like wrestlers who got hurt or people thought they were too small or they weren't as successful as they wanted to be. And they tried a different route or like whatever it was, but like there was this huge stigma for years uh, about referees being either like the guy who couldn't make it as a wrestler or the promoter's friend or younger brother, or just some dude who like, I've literally heard of people being like given the job as like winning a raffle that night. Um, I'm like, that's my whole point of what I'm trying to do with like the, the network and like uh, with podcasts like this is like, I'm trying to encourage more growth in the world of like, actually like, you know, standardizing a real form of training for referees so that you don't have that stigma of like you walk into a building and like, Oh, who's this guy? He's probably going to ruin my match. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a big task to take on. Um, especially there's this extensive network of referees out there mm -hmm. uh, stationed in different areas. You know, many of course travel just as the wrestlers do even, even right. along with the wrestlers. Um, you mentioned, of course, Zebra Talk. So Zebra Talk is a podcast, and I believe you also have uh, some kind of, is it a Facebook group or something like that, that for so, the... If yeah. you don't mind, I'll just go yeah. ahead and dive into it. Yeah. Uh, Zebra Talk originally started as a private group on Facebook. Uh, it. it was something that I created as a network to meet who the other referees were out there in the world and give them a chance to talk to the more veteran peers that could answer our questions so we didn't have to just wait for them to show up in our town and be like, hey, I've been doing this wrong this whole time. Can you tell me how to do it right so I don't get yelled at anymore? Um, and what started with me having like 30 members that I knew personally, I just told everybody that was in the group, um, any referee that you know, any level of experience, whether they're, you know, Earl Hebner or somebody who started training yesterday or even somebody who's retired somebody, you know, who's a promoter now or a wrestler now, whatever, but anybody who's ever worn the stripes, we all have experiences that we can share with each other so we can learn from them. Uh, mm -hmm. Please invite them. And literally overnight, it went from 30 people to 250 people. Wow. Uh, and now it's four years later. Um, we have 1100 members. I'm fairly confident that I have almost every referee that is in pro wrestling, at least affiliated with it, if not in the group. Right. Um, I have a merchandise line that I created to fund, uh, a nonprofit charity that I created because referees aren't paid to travel almost ever. <laughs> right. So, um, we have shirts and sweaters and all kinds of stuff like that on pro wrestling tees. And once a month, we actually donate money to a referee that applies to the charity to help them travel to a new location. And then after all of that was like really well established, people just kind of kept asking and kept asking like Zebra Talk, that sounds like the name of a podcast. Like, why isn't that a podcast yet? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I guess I should make a podcast. So I made a podcast uh, and that started, um, we dropped our first episode on March 1st of this year. We've had 
like Brian Hebner, Aubrey, uh, Jimmy Corderas. We just dropped Brandon Toll from Impact today. Um, we've got a lot of other great referees lined up. And it's not just like super high profile contracted people either. Like there's people that are on the rise right now. My friend Jeremy Marcus was our first episode. He's signed to New Japan Pro Wrestling right now. Um, Nick Bonanno, who's the head referee at Championship Wrestling from Hollywood and my mentor and one of my best friends, he's on there as well. Like I kind of wanted to intentionally intersperse like people that would garner a lot of attention and kind of pad it with people that I feel like are a good representation of like quality referees in our community. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now you mentioned in this group, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the podcast, all of it, this, this sounds great and you're doing good things with Thanks. literally giving money to uh, the referees in need who are, are trying to just go and work and they yeah. can't necessarily get from town to town. Or We don't keep a profit. We just turn it all back into it. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, you mentioned this, the grouping a resource, you know, mm-hmm. where you could talk about issues pertaining to refereeing. And, you know, there are some things that like, Oh, Hey, am I, this keeps happening or I'm doing this wrong or how can I do this better? I mean, what's an example of something that maybe you struggled with earlier on in your career as a referee that, you know, you've since figured out. Sure. Um, There's a very common one that comes up regularly because like uh, it's been a group for so long now that the thread is miles long. There's Mm -hmm. so much interaction on the group. And like, I love promoting the group as its own entity. Cause like, I just had an idea, but like these guys really just like took off with it. Guys, girls, and you know, like everybody in between we have anyway. Uh, but the, to answer your question, um, triple threats is something that comes up very often, uh, mm-hmm. including like no DQ matches, um, specifically and in regards to whether or not rope breaks are legal or not in triple threat matches in particular, but also in no disqualification matches. And luckily we have members from literally, like I said, all the way at the top to all the way, you know, started yesterday. Um, and Jimmy Corderas has been very kind to come in every so often, you know, every couple of months, somebody new that just got added to the group will be like, Hey, what about rope breaks in a triple threat? And we all like that have been in there since the first week are just like, Oh, here we go again. Okay, cool. Let's have this conversation. Um, but yeah, that one comes up a lot. Uh, well, I mean, to settle it for anyone sure. who's watching this or listening, what about so, rope breaks and a triple threat? <laughs> the answer to any question when it comes to whether or not something is or isn't in pro wrestling is the answer lies with the promoter. Mm-hmm. every promoter has the right to choose what rules they do and don't enforce in their promotion. So a really hard thing for a lot of referees to uh, accept is that there is no just ironclad answer for a lot of the questions because it can vary from company to company, but traditional, let's call it like television wrestling rules state that uh, the ropes are a plane and it separates where legal falls can and cannot occur. So mm-hmm. you are not disqualified when you get counted to a five when you're holding on to the ropes. You're actually counted out because you're outside of the plane of where legal action can take place. So there's the answer. That comes from Corderas. If I'm wrong, it came from Corderas. Wow. 
Um, but yeah, he comes on. That's kind of his hill to die on. He comes on every couple of months and just answers that one. But like we get way less, you know, stressful questions, things like um, what are the best kind of pants that I should wear? <laughs> what are the best kind of shoes that I should wear? Should I wear knee pads? Which is the most ridiculous question that we get all the time. And I'm like, why wouldn't you wear knee pads? Your knees are going to die. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we get all kinds of stuff. Well, I mean, there are some wrestlers who insist still upon not wearing knee pads. I mean, I'll that's their right. They can do whatever <laughs> they do. But like me personally, I'm sliding around on my knees. It's in my podcast intro. We talk about sliding on our knees and counting the threes. But yeah, I've worn knee pads literally since the first day. And uh, I'm I'm a very, very big proponent of wearing knee pads. Absolutely. Are there so I'm, I'm just fascinated by this. I mean, I knew the thing about the, the rope being the plane of the ring. I never thought about the rope break being a count out issue as opposed to a submission issue. But I did, um, you know, think about, I, I, I have thought about it in terms of, oh, well, this, this guy can't get away now because it's a, uh, you know, it's a, a notice qualification match and he's, he's grabbing on the ropes, but he, he it can't be made to break the hold. And it's like, yeah, but. So that's where the, the yeah. trouble lies with most right. people is when it's a notice qualification match. Right. Often we forget that the announcer will also say the following match has no disqualifications and no countouts. Right. So then if that is implied as well, then you can grab the ropes, you can go outside, you can do whatever, whatever, whatever. And the ref is just kind of there to maintain some order. But like, first and foremost, our biggest job is making sure that everybody's safe. Right. Like a lot of people think we're just there to count threes or ring the bell or, you know, like enforce rules, but like, everybody's picking each other up and dropping each other and kicking each other in the face and doing flips and flying. And like, there needs to be someone right there in that moment. Like I've had tons of injuries that have occurred in my matches. Like it happens. It happens every day. We see it all the time. So like, you know, I think that's a very easily forgotten part of our job and something that like, I really try to emphasize as well uh, through zebra talk and, you know, with my uh, peers, like, making sure that we're all CPR certified, making sure that we have concussion protocol training, making sure that, you know, like we know how to keep our calm when really bad things happen because sometimes really bad things happen. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, it, that, that's, there are a lot of rule uh, roles that a referee will take on. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, down to, you know, in a televised promotion, they're getting signals from the back. And a lot of cases, there's a lot of different things that can happen. In the case of an injury, how do you make that call? If somebody, if it looks like somebody's a little bit maybe you know glassy-eyed, they might have, they might be concussed, they might be hurt. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, you the first instinct I'm sure is to ask them if they're okay to proceed. But right, when do you know like you know what I have to look out for this wrestler's well-being even if they're not going to do it? What, how do you how do you make a call like that? We have this conversation a lot and like, it really is a very difficult call to make in certain situations. Like when it's not super apparent, like if somebody can't stand or if their leg is broken or they can't lift their arms, like the match is over. There's nothing that we can do, you know, or like maybe somebody will find a way to pin them or something. But like, yeah, if somebody's incapable of protecting themselves and functioning properly, safely, like, sorry, <laughs> it, it happened. Um, but for the most part, most wrestlers that I know would prefer if it's physically possible and safe without further injuring themselves to continue, they'd prefer to continue. We've all heard the story of, you know, Stone Cold or 
Brock Lesnar or whoever else breaking their neck in the middle of a match and finishing the match. Like that's not a decision I can make for anybody, but it just comes down to communicating with the person who's very clearly hurt, communicating with their opponent or opponents and just making a split second judgment call, uh, you know, based on past experiences, based on training, uh, and based on your judgment, like it's a really intense call to make honestly like there's a lot of those in the referee role where like you have that long to figure out like okay are we doing this are we doing this because the whole show is riding on this or this person's health is riding on this or you know whatever else my job is riding on this like and at the end of the day i would much rather sacrifice my job and make sure that someone's safe and if like i end a match and somebody needed it to be ended and you know they weren't happy about that like maybe we shouldn't be there but the wrestlers, for the most part, will be able to make the call themselves. Interesting. Um, I mean, is there anything you have this group now, which is a wonderful resource and probably the kind of thing that you wish you would have had starting out, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, is there, if you had to pick one or two things that you wish you'd known when you started down your path as a referee, like what would those be? I wish that I had known that the bottom of my wrestling shoes were going to get me heat. <laughs> I know that? that's a really silly thing to uh, comment on. And there's other like better things that I can mention, but like that is the first thing that popped into my head because uh, a referee should, you know, by traditional standards be in a very, very uniform uniform. Mm-hmm. We're in the striped shirts we have a black undershirt. You should be wearing black under your pants because it will happen that your pants will split. It's happened to me. And if they are not black when it happens, you will find out the hard way that they should have been. Uh, <laughs> belt, mine weren't. I found out the hard way. Uh, it's something we talked about in the Corderas episode. He uh, had blue. <laughs> um, but yeah, black shoes and black socks. What I didn't realize was that black shoes meant all the way to the bottom. Because my first pair of wrestling shoes that I used as my ref shoes for like three or four years uh, were actually, um, they have tan soles on them. Right. So like they stuck out like a sore thumb on camera and to people who were looking for it. But like, I didn't realize that that was going to be a thing. People, you know, would comment on it and be like, oh, what are you trying to get over? Are you trying to be like a red shoes or something like that? And I'm like, no, I, I went to the Dick's Sporting Goods and I looked for black wrestling shoes and I was like, oh, those are black, cool. And I just right. kept those. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wish I had known about that a little bit earlier on so that I could have avoided all of those conversations. Um, I wish that I was taught how to... I, I feel like uh, social media presence, locker room etiquette, things like that are really, really easily left out in uh, professional wrestling like and in training in general. Um, knowing how to speak, when to speak, who to talk to about getting bookings, how to do it professionally. I'm really lucky that like I come from kind of a corporate professional background. I've you know been working since I was like 16. Mm-hmm. I know how to write a cover letter. I know how to write like I... I wrote essays in college. I was going to be an English major, but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is really, really easily like left out in pro wrestling in a lot of places. And like, you see it so often. It's like uh, people talk on Twitter about like, you know, getting booking requests that start with someone just going, Hey, 
And it's like, man, come on, like myself included. Like I'm sure the first couple of years that I was around, I was just sticking my foot in my mouth left and right, like in person, online, like all over the place. Um, lastly, and probably most importantly, at least for me personally, I wish I was taught how to eat and how to work out because the, I was taught very well how to be a ref and how to understand wrestling. Uh, and we almost did no like actual like exercise and there was no nutritional education. Right. Uh, which like it varies from, you know, school to school and company to company. But like my trainers were all about work out on your own time, come here and learn how to wrestle. And I totally appreciate that because I feel like I got a really great crash course in learning how to like be involved in a pro wrestling match and on a show and things like that. But like, you can go back and look at old pictures of me. I have a really scraggly beard. I don't do my hair ever. It's really like shaggy and like, uh, like I just, I'm right here, Odie. <laughs> <laughs> You're not, you know, trying to like be on television and like no, stand not. next to like Hammerstone or you know like guys like that or my buddy Steven Trissario, cheap plug. Uh, <laughs> but like these, you know, Greek gods that were standing next to her, these gorgeous yeah. women, you know, that like they look like the peak of physical human capability and like, oh I yeah, just I had I, no I, idea. I had a very brief cameo on MLW uh, last early last year, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I was next to uh, Brian Pillman Jr. and Alicia. Too. <laughs> and I was kind of <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> I got to I gotta show you an old picture of me like before I like kind of got the <laughs> hey, brother. Like, yeah. it was pretty rough. Uh, <laughs> like, one of the best matches I ever had a chance to be a part of, one of the most high-profile matches I ever had, to be a ch- had a chance to be a part of was before... I was smartened up to like, if you want the job, look like you want the job. Right. Um, I refed the first stardom championship on American soil oh, man. Uh, between Mercedes Martinez and Tony Storm before they had gotten signed. Right. And it was an incredible opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I looked like garbage. I looked awful. I go back and I look at it and I seriously cringe. My I'm sweating all over my hairs in a million different places. Like, it's just not a good scene. So like, that's definitely something that like referees in particular, I wish we were taught a little bit more about. You can be any size, you can have facial hair, you can have your hair, whatever you like, but like making sure that you look as professional as possible. It's not about having to be jacked or skinny or tall or short or whatever it is, just being the best representation of yourself. Sure. But I mean, there is a certain amount of conditioning that goes along with it. I mean, I, I, I know, Geez, the last show I was at was the the GCW Backyard Wrestling mm-hmm. show. And I, I've known Adam Galt for a long time. I uh, love Adam Galt. One of the best referees in the world. Like, uh, if you guys don't know who Adam Galt is, I don't mean to cut you off. But, no, like, please, please pause this. Look him up. Like, this guy is going to be on your television. He already is on certain television. Uh, yeah. But, like, he's going to be signed somewhere for a very, very long time. He's one of the best referees in the world. Please continue. Just a, I, I'm sure he'll, he'll appreciate hearing that. Um, and just a, just a wonderful guy, too. But... Um, yeah, I saw him. I mean, after I, I pulled him aside actually to get a couple of quick quotes for a previous episode of this podcast, sure. just uh, and yeah, I mean, he's he was hustling just as much as the wrestlers that were out there. I mean, he's not executing the moves, but he's he's got to keep up with them, he's got to follow them. You know, they're outside of the ring, they're in the ring, they're up, they're down. He's got to be there to to count the threes, to uh, mm-hmm. to see if they're 
anybody submits, if ever make sure everyone's okay, of course, all the, the important uh, behind the scenes aspects of it that you mentioned. And yeah, I mean, he's like, oh, let me get a walk, like sip of water first. And I'm like, I yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you, you a know, quote, but let me catch my breath, brother. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And I, it's like, yeah, I don't blame you. I saw you out there. I, I, I could tell, you know, I was paying extra close attention to you because I, mm-hmm. I know you. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, I think you need, you know, even if you're someone of my size, for, for example, I mean, you need, it's the same thing as if you're going to be a, a wrestler and you're, you're bigger. I mean, different sizes are fine. You just have to be ready to go out there and do what you have to do. Yeah, um, absolutely. We've seen many, many examples of like larger referees over the years that are just as talented and just as capable mm-hmm. as people half their size. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, it's not about like being a particular image it's about being able to keep up and being able to perform at a high level you know like a lot of people forget that like refereeing is basically shouting while doing wind sprints and burpees the whole time (laughs) for 10 minutes 20 minutes like i always love uh when we have a show where the there's a special guest referee uh, we had Scorpio Sky do one at uh, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood once. And inevitably, they, you know, like, they're not, like, dead or blown or anything like that. But they always come to the back and they're like, you guys work a lot more than I thought you did. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, a lot of people think we just kind of stand around and wait for a pinfall. But, like, you know, we're not doing anything compared to what they're doing. We're not killing sure. our body or, you know, leaping over the top rope or anything like that. But, like it's an athletic competition and you have to be right there with them. Like if you're in there with Trey Miguel and like Ray Horace, like you better believe you're going to be sprinting. Those guys are fast, man. And you're going to be dead by the end of the match, but you got to be ready to go out after the next one. Cause guess what? You got three more matches to do. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's something that maybe goes overlooked is that it's not one and done. Um, yeah. So maybe you're not having to take, I mean, you may have to take a bump or two throughout the show. Hopefully, hopefully mm-hmm. not more than one, but <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, th- th- this is really the, the same in some other areas as well. I mean, I know uh, my sister's old high school tennis coach. I mean, he, he coaches professional or excuse me, he referees professional matches. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's not an accident that he keeps getting work. I mean, he, he, he knows how to keep up and how to uh, keep a keen eye on everything. Yeah. Um, and it's an underrated skill. I mean, it's something that you, you do have to work at. I mean, it, and as you mentioned, I mean, you were in there essentially uh, doing some of the fundamentals with the wrestlers in your class. I mean, you have to you have to know how to take a bump. You have to know yeah. how to move around the ring. Um, you have to know how to stay out of the way and some other things. When, when <laughs> there, there are really right. a lot of different skills that you have to, to juggle. So uh, kudos. I mean, it's, it's, it's thankless work sometimes, but. You know, know, uh, a lot of people say that and to an extent it is true, but it actually makes it stand out that much more when you find the wrestlers or the promoters who do value what it is that you do. Because they're it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, every single wrestler is just going to like blow you off or something like that. Some of them do like, you know, they are focused on their match or, you know, what they've got coming up next or maybe they haven't eaten. They need to get in the next town, whatever. But like the ones that really like stop and take a second and like make a point of being like, I really appreciated your match or like even more than that, the ones that like actually request to have you in their match. Like there's no bigger compliment that a referee can get than a ref, uh, a wrestler, like specifically saying like, I've worked with you. I work really well with you. 
I want to make sure that like you're in there. So I know that I don't have to worry about anything. It's, it's like the biggest pat on the back that you could ever get. Or it, Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, is there anything else you'd like to I'd give you a chance to, of course, plug everything, but is there anything sure. else you want to get out there before we get into the, the plug section? Um, you know, I think we covered it pretty well. Uh, just try and, you know, it always stands out to me a little bit when I ask a wrestler who the referee was in their match and they can't tell me the person's name, make a point of knowing the name of the person who's in there with you. Even if they're bad, that gives you an opportunity to like help them grow. Uh, a lot of people in pro wrestling want to just kind of like check a box that someone's bad at their job and just like write them off. And uh, there was a lot of that when I started Zebra Talk. Some people were like, you know, you should make a different group that's just for the good refs or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, who gets to decide who the good refs are? Because I'm two years into the business, so I probably shouldn't be the person deciding who the good refs are. Right. <laughs> um, but my point is like, know who your refs are take opportunities to help people grow. It doesn't have to be, you know, like a long-term mentorship or something like that, but it really, really helps us, especially people who don't have a mentor or a trainer or anything like that, that can teach them how to be better to pull us aside from everybody for five minutes and be like, Hey, this is what happened. This is what could have gone better. Let's see if we can work on it so that the next time you're in that situation, it doesn't happen again. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, what's the best way to learn more about all this to, to maybe if, if someone's a referee and they somehow are not in the group or if someone just wants <laughs> to listen to the podcast? It blows me away. Honestly, I encourage everybody in the group to invite every ref that they know regularly. I had a new person added today and yesterday. We add new people every day. We're on like every country where there is wrestling, we're in six continents. Like it's, it's a pretty amazing group. But um, if you are not in the Zebra Talk group, please find me on Facebook at Robert Odie Brown. Odie is spelled O-D-I-E. I'm sure it'll be written somewhere around here. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Odie1Kenodi. Uh, or we do have socials for Zebra Talk itself. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, you can find the podcast. All of it is Zebra Talk 123. And if you are a referee and you're thinking about applying to the Zebra Talk Fund, is what I like to call the charity that we had mentioned earlier, you can actually email me at zebratalk123 at gmail.com and just let us know what you want to use it for. And of course, there's the Zebra Talk Pro Wrestling Tees store. If there is. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Zebra Talk is also, as he mentioned, on Pro Wrestling Tees. It's just prowrestlingtees.com backslash Zebra Talk. We've got Lots of great merchy merchies for you to pick up. We've got some variety of t-shirts and we've got sweaters. I've got track suits for sale. This is one that uh, Juan Ortiz uh, just re uh, designed for us not too long ago. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, we would really appreciate any kind of, uh, you know, sales or uh, just come say hi. If you're ref, please join Zebra Talk. We'd really like to have you in there. All right. Well, Odie, thank you for taking the time to do this. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And for everyone listening, a bonus interview now from On the Indies columnist, Andrea Hanks, her conversation, extended conversation with MVL. We want to talk to you, obviously, about uh, your Polyam Cult Party 3. And uh -huh. we'll also talk to you about, I want to talk to you about, you know, what you're doing in your career as a wrestler as well. But I just want to start off with... Um, 
I mean, it was like five hours in the rain. Yeah. Well, half of it was in the rain. Half of it was in the rain, but it was like, you know, like I, I'm sure the experience of like being there in the rain is like one thing, but like I, you know, I watched a five hour wrestling show and was not like bored you know, you know, like how some five-hour wrestling shows can be. So, yeah. like, so what is the process of putting together something, especially like that ambitious, that long, and 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 making it work from start to finish? Um, well, I think that the I think that the first reason that it worked so well for everyone was that this wasn't a matchmaking process where I was just like. Wow, a lot of these, a lot of these workers have become my friends. A lot of this was, I was like, okay, this is all going to work in its own way. And I don't like I booked anything twice, and I think that's a repetitive. Or I think that's a problem with indie wrestling. A lot of the times mm-hmm. is that people, you know, book, like you book all these really talented people, of course, but then like the the cadence and rhythm of every match is the same. Sure. Uh, especially on like the super indie style shows where we're just booking like work rate, work rate, work rate, and you know that's what we're doing is work rate. And I think that Polyam Party shows in, in, in the first, second, and and I think the third was like my best booking job to date. Uh, was that everything is different? Every match offers something completely different, and I feel like uh, you know the pace yourself for a five hour show, but if everything brings something different and everyone's not trying the same shit everyone's not trying to you know be the super indie batch of the day and that's how you keep people into it and I, you know it started off with it was actually supposed to be uh 16 matches and ended up being like 13 and a half because of the rain and, you know I, I told some wrestlers that they didn't have to work in the rain if they didn't want to and they chose not to nothing wrong with that at all i totally understand sure uh, but uh i just think that I think that both, yeah, the matches that I booked all offered something completely unique, and I think that also the wrestlers, all all the workers, rose up to the challenge of offering something unique on such a long card. And is that like sort of what you've been looking to do with you know all three of these polyam cult parties of just like providing something different or a variety of matches? Like, what is what was your you know influence or your your you know desire to do here with this? Well, my, my influence, well, I, I don't know if I want to say influence, my, I think that I make it, like, pretty obvious that, like, I don't book for wrestling fans, mm-hmm. um, and I think that, yes, every show I've ever taken part of, including Uncanny, uh, the Dragon Dropkick series yes. portion of it, is, what do we do to keep, well, you know, because I, I, I have booked every Uncanny show as well, and there's always been okay, I don't give a shit about drawing people in with with the moves or the potential of this match. That's part of it. But I also think that it's like, how is this, how are we, if, if someone has never seen wrestling before, how is every single match going to look to them? And I think that that's something I go into with an eye for, yeah, for the first and second. And then also, I mean, the second one, second one so much went wrong that it was kind of like, it wasn't, it wasn't how it was booked. So that one, while the second one was successful, it was not the show that I booked. Sure. <laughs> like, the car, cars broke down, people canceled, etc. But um, the, the third one, you know, everyone everyone was on time and everything. And other than the rain and, and losing a few matches and juggling that, yeah, every match. Well, the, oh, let's say this. The first ten matches were all matches that I booked. And um, 
And, you know, yeah, I think that I looked like, what would Molly and Allison offer a casual viewer? What would Lee and Charles offer a casual viewer? What would me and Jody offer a casual viewer? Xavier and Yo-Yo. I mean, every single one. It's like, I feel like as I broke, because I was like, you know, these people were asking me for parts, you know, because after I booked it, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, let's make this really big. There hasn't been um, a non-GCW big indie show mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Okay, so yeah, I was like, okay, I'm okay with making this an event. You know, it's going to be funny. I'm going to make fun of how long it is, but we'll make it work. Um, and then, um, you know, but then it wasn't, it was like me thinking, how are these individual matches going to stand out compared to everyone else? And you have to think, and one, you know, especially when you have like Jim Sterling's crowd coming over from their Twitch and things like that, you also have to, re- I feel like when I walked back on the Twitch stream, I saw the comments, I feel like I nailed that pretty well. I feel like people <laughs> were like, for the most, I mean, I think there was like some like, like Boshumania type people coming because Matthew was sweet that were like, oh, Bosh, Bosh. You know, there's like the typical haters. Yeah. But then, but then there was a lot of casuals that were like, damn, I haven't been enthralled by wrestling since 2002. Like someone said that. I was like, that's great. That's what we want. That's when I started watching wrestling. So that's what I want you to feel. Um, and that's, yeah, so that's, you know, that's what we do. That's, that's, I mean, that's not, that is kind of the mission and uncanny. And that's, that's, that's my viewpoint on wrestling is I don't, I think that, I think that we all have the ability to win over the indie people with our own work rates. And that's great. And sometimes we have to work that way, but I also want to make wrestling bigger. And I think that, you know, we're averaging around a thousand views on Twitch on that day. And mm-hmm. I don't think, I, I think that more than half of them were not wrestling fans and maybe now they are. So that's what we want. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say is that what what you've done, you know, especially the, the third Polyam Cult party, but also with Uncanny and, and your other Polyam Cult parties is like, there's a lot of people like who are physically there or who are also just streaming it who aren't really wrestling fans who don't watch it and don't really know that much about it and are, you know, attracted to what you're you're putting together. Yeah, and, you know, that's, I, I try to tell people this, and I feel like they don't care or just maybe want to gatekeep, and I don't really understand, but that's important, especially because, yeah. like, you know, we see, and you know, part of it's the cable's dying, but viewership is dwindling. I, the, the viewership is dwindling, even though the fanhood, the fans are more passionate than they've ever been, but, like, we do need to, you know, grow. And, and, you know, yeah. w- WWE does what they do, and, you know, I have my qualms with them, but they are kind of putting wrestling in places again. They, they have, like, the Sports Center deal. And they, you know, they do, with the Bad Bunny stuff, like, they do good. But, like, it's also up to the independents to offer their hand at what can we offer the avant-garde art world? What can we offer, uh, you know, especially me living in New York City, like, this is a huge outlet for me to push wrestling into the mainstream because I live in the media capital world. So how do I take advantage of that? It's not just, people always say like, oh, it's so crazy that you're an indie wrestler, full-time indie wrestler when I live in New York. I'm like, yes, like, you know, I eat, you know, I eat it in my wallet, but also like the big, the big term picture here is I have, me having New York City at my hand means a lot to me for putting the word of wrestling out to everybody. So how do you take what you're doing? How do you make it mainstream? Like, how do you make people really draw in and add to the wrestling audience like how do you take this and make people love wrestling how, how do you envision that well in my mind it's a bunch of it's surrounding it with a bunch of other art forms that i think are both similar or coincide with wrestling that i already have experience in being fashion modeling you saw me do that in the new york fashion week show yes. last year uh 
the the drag shows, uh, which is you know, I was I'm now a drag promoter. I was always, and I was more so a fan, but because of wrestling, you know, I knew how to promote and things and such that. And it's always been said that, you know, there's such a crossover between drag and wrestling. And that's how we started taking advantage of that in 2018. So like, hey, look how cool these things are together. Look how similar they are together. Um, and then, you know, uh, back to the fashion, like that was just something that, that was, that was really just like such a big personal world of mine because of... I'm me being unhappy of my time as a modeling, but as model, but also because I love fashion and I love that industry. And also because there's so much fashion and wrestling. I feel like we don't talk about it enough. <laughs> True. Uh, and, uh, and I felt like I was also, you know, we had like girls from America's next top model there that were enthralled by the wrestling. They're like, what the f this is crazy. I didn't know this existed outside <laughs> of world wrestling entertainment. And that's like a big, and you know, that's something that I've been cut off from doing because of the pandemic but once it comes back it was going to be such it's going to be such a big thing again and i feel like it's like one of my side projects it's actually the project that i if i had to pick one project that i'm most proud of it's that and it's one that people talk about the least because i didn't stream it and it wasn't like i my name wasn't that big at that point like i'd start getting like buzz from the gimmick but like it wasn't as big as it could be and i feel like a lot of my fans don't even know that it happened but like for me, it was like one of the most successful nights of my life, and, and I'm like really, I'm really excited for it to happen again. Yeah, I was my, gonna say you're 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 planning on on more Fashion Week shows coming up, right? Yeah, because it looks like Fashion Week's actually gonna happen this fall. Um, so sorry. Also, sorry if this is like ruining the order of how you want to write about. No, <laughs> it's fine. I'm all over the place, but like, but um, I plan on running Fashion Week for every. Um, uh, New York Fashion Week. Like I'll do this fall, this spring. Like I always want to do that. No matter what happens to me, no matter what contract I sign, Fashion Week will always happen. In my like, that's like one of my clauses. If anything ever happens big with me, it's like I need Fashion Week thing as part of my brand. Um, and you know that's like one thing that's very important to me. And also like the polyam parties and the drop dropkicks also like it's you know the polyam party within its own like i feel like it's kind of like touches on both my fashion shows and drags and drop kicks and it's unique in that way yeah and it makes it feel bigger in my opinion because it's like i didn't even like i didn't like give anyone a dress code or anything but it's even like you see my brand working when everyone's like oh my god like what are we going to wear to call am party? I'm like, Oh my God, this, this is exactly what I wanted. And then, you know, and I, I was I like throw wash, uh, Washington Heights in the mix. And I was like, eh, it's not drags drop kicks, but it's a little bit, you know, just like remind everyone what the whole brand is. It's all come together. Um, and that's, you know, everything that you see my, that you see me writing and creativity on, it's all going to be a little bit. We'll touch drag a little bit. I'll touch on fashion a little bit, you know, and then inclusivity of professional wrestling talent, uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all those things, like, fit together really well. It's like, the first time I saw a drag performance at a wrestling show, I was just like, well, duh. You know, like, this yeah. is just, like, natural. It's like, of course, you yeah. know? It of just it, it, it just fits so perfectly. It's, 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 it's like, the, it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah, and I feel like, I also feel like, I, 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 don't, I think that's most people's reaction. Yeah. Uh, and I think that people, and I think that, I think the only thing is that a lot of, like when you say it to a lot of people, like, yeah, they get it, but some people don't, I feel like you have to be shown and that's what yeah. we do. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, 
yeah, I definitely think that's why it works so much is because when it's present, if you see a wrestling match and then you see a queen perform, you're like, oh, yes, oh okay. yeah. Okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you find these houses? You don't have to say. I'm just curious. How do I find these houses? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the one in Pittsburgh is, oh, well, it's no longer. That will never happen again. It's so yeah. sad. But that was, um, my friend bought like a house that was supposed to be a project and they kind of changed their mind. Uh-huh. But in downtime was like, I think that they found my Brooklyn one. Uh, and they're like, Oh, you can do it here. I was like, okay, we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen right now. I'm actually writing about this right now because of how random. Like it was, um, <laughs> uh, but so the whole thing is very random. Obviously the fashion shows and drags and drop kicks were always the thing, but the first one was supposed to be an album release party and the band canceled. And then, that's what happened. Like we, that's why we had, <laughs> that's why we had like the the really the really bad ring because at the time it's actually the ring my squeeze is now, but like they fixed it. And at the time it was just a ring that I rented from someone I hardly knew. But um, but that was an accident. That's why it was so short. It was only six matches, and it just very surprisingly did really well on Twitch. Like it did. I mean, really well, not comparatively to where it is now, but at the time, like. I, was, I mean, I feel like I had a little bit of a name, and then it was me and FE, and I feel like it brought out our community for that and things like that. And like, and I think it helps all everyone on the show and also me. Um, but then the second one was, yeah, so like a month – I can't remember what happened. I just remember like, I was back in Pittsburgh, and I was like, oh, and I think my friend was talking about how well it did. And just like my friend that owned the house just threw it out there that I could do that, and <laughs> I was like not even like – I didn't even, I wasn't like, oh, what are the logistics? I was like, yes, we're doing this. And quite literally, you know, in the times of pandemic, I don't have a lot of bookings. I literally spent three weeks in Pittsburgh doing work because it was so messed up. There was so much overgrow. There was so much, there was so much. Oh yeah, I so saw you. Like, you cleared out the yard and did some and painting trash. and that I kind of so stuff. much yard work. I yeah. did so much, I just did so much damn yard work. Um, that I, and I hate manual labor, but I did it. And we, um. So we did all of that, and you know, the second one was really great, and I think trended like in the top twenties of the country, which is at the time. Think about it, like I think me and Effie were probably the biggest names on that one. So like to me, it was very successful. The second one, we trended, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the third one, a lot of people have built their names up, and it was exactly what you saw. It was we trended fourth in the country, and it yeah. talked, and it was a big. Yo, I think like everyone was telling me how many followers I got from it. I got like 400 followers from my own show, so that's great. Uh, <laughs> and like Jody told me he got like 300. Everyone was telling me like we all did what we, you know, this is us all working to grow our brands, and it did exactly that. And that makes me really happy because now I feel like what I've created is an outlet where I feel, whereas personally, I feel like. I get booked on a few shows a year, like the collective shows and stuff where like everyone, you know, I get a little buzz coming out of it. If I might be well, everyone's like, Oh, this is great. But now I've created my own platform to give myself and, and my friends and, and just anyone that deserves it, that platform to grow themselves. And that gives independent fans another option. And that gives us a way to keep growing and getting bigger. Um, and that's the most exciting part about it really. And you, I mean, you've had, uh, you know, you've, you've been a wrestler for how long would you say? Six, seven years, something like that. I'm in the, I'm missing my eighth year right now. Eighth year right now. Yeah. So, but this has been, I'm sure the past like 12, 24 months have just been like 
crazy for you. I mean, there's been so many people know who you are now. And uh, you're you're the Wrestler's Lab champion. You had a really great match against J.D. Drake at the Big Gay Brunch. Like, you've got a a lot going on in the ring for yourself, too. I mean, you're helping a lot of other people, and you're, you're helping the industry, and you're innovating and coming up with all these great ideas. But, I mean, you're out there. I mean, you're doing the work in the ring, you know? Definitely. And I also... You know, I, I also, yeah, I, I don't like being pigeonholed as a creator because I feel like creating and wrestling makes me really happy. But also at the end of the day, like my dream is to be the biggest star I can be. And yeah. that's, you know, like it's not like a lot of people say uh, fame doesn't matter to them. Fame does matter to me. Like I want my platform. I want a platform to create and I want a platform to perform. I enjoy it. At the end of the day, if I had to choose one avenue for professional wrestling, if I had to pick one, it was absolutely performing. That's where I get my eye. That makes me happy. That's where I get to use this character that I've created and molded and worked on for two years now. And um, yeah, what started off as you know a gimmick that you know I wasn't sure I wanted to do it turned into an outlet for me to go have really great matches. And I honestly believe that I think that maybe there's a stigma because a I'm a gimmick and b because I'm very active on social media of what I am performer but then i think that i change those minds every time i'm on a big platform and i perform mm-hmm. um and i think that every time i've been given the avenue to show people that i can go i do and part you mentioned jd drake that is that match means a lot to me for two reasons one because a people loved it and it was, and it was great and it was exactly who i am as an in-ring wrestler but also because jd is one of the best there is right now and he personally reached out to me after telling me how much he enjoyed it and that meant so much to me oh that's awesome that yeah that match was was fantastic and and then you were you know in the enjoy cup finals against lee moriarty i'm sure you know lee pretty well you're both western pennsylvania guys yes very well yeah mainly go way back so that's that's really cool so what do you what do you see for yourself in the next let's say year, two years as an in-ring performer and not just as a, as a producer. Uh, for the next two years. Okay. Let's, let's go like more short, like the year I already, I already have things that I see or not, not, I already have bookings that I can't even talk about yet. Um, that are really, really cool. And I think this might, I think my goal is to just keep, making people realize that I deliver in ring every time I'm given the opportunity and then also keep building what I believe is the best part about myself as a performer, which is that I can adapt to any kind of style and work with anybody in any ring. And I really like the JD Drake match was my preferred style and that's my bread and butter. But like I can wrestle late. I can wrestle the technical wrestlers. I can wrestle comedy, hardcore. You know, you, you, you see me do death sometimes like, and this, which I I think in the next year I'm going to pro- – oh, and I, I guess I've announced the super crazy match. You know, things like I'm going to be able – I can go wrestle a, a WWE ECW veteran this weekend, and I can go and I can go wrestle a death match the next weekend, and I can go wrestle a technical wrestler the next weekend. And that's what I want to be known for. I want to be like, yeah, a great character. He has this aura, whatever. He draws people in, but then he can go too. He can, he can make – he can deliver with any type of wrestler, and that's – that's what this year is about for me. And some people have, you know, said things to me like, "Oh, you kind of step back from like the, you know, the third person and the ring lights." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm still going to do promos for every match, but also like it's really important to me that I prove to everyone what I can do in a ring." And so far this year already, I've had great matches with Dan Garcia, 
Willow Nightingale, Deb Monroe, uh, J.D. Drake, Lee Moriarty, again, you know, like, I, I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I am always going to be MV Young, Polyam King, that is, because it's an extension of myself, but also, this year, I got over with the character last year, and this year, I'm going to prove to people that I can go. Awesome. All right, I think that's everything I've got for you, MV, unless there's anything else you'd like to add. I feel pretty good about it. Okay, great. Um, I'm, I, I feel pretty good about it, too. I think this will be a good, good feature. 